Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings, and we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Hey everyone, so excited to be with Dr. Sandra Glan this morning. Um, Dr. Glan, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, glad to be here, thanks. So excited to have you with us. Um, we've been in the summer mixtape now for a few weeks and this is actually our culminating week. This is the final one. And so, so excited for this to be the one that we kind of send everyone out on. Um, Dr. Glan is, uh, I'm going to read your bio. I know that's weird, but I'm going to just do it um, so that people know a little bit more about you and who you are. Um, so Dr. Sandra Glan is an associate professor of media arts and worship at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, where I'm also a graduate. Um, she is the author and co-author or general editor of more than 20 books. Um, the most recent being Vindicating the Vixens, Revisiting Sexualized, Vilified, and Marginalized Women of the Bible, which um, highly recommend great read. Um, very thankful for that work. Her favorite area of study are gender, first century backgrounds, and pilgrimage travel, which is a very cool combination of things, I feel like. <laughs> plus, <laughs> plus chocolate. Plus chocolate. There. <laughs> I'm glad you know your bio by heart so much. So, yeah. Um, so she loves all those things and chocolate and her husband of 41 years and they have an adult daughter as well. So again, so glad to have you. Now that was your bio and we can get that off, you know, any website, whether it's your um, seminary or books that you authored, all that stuff. That's readily available. I saved chocolate just for your church. So you have the oh, answer. thank you. Yeah. Everybody really else gets all the, yeah. Wow. I feel very honored by that. <laughs> um but yeah, that's your bio. So we'd love for you to just tell us a little bit more of your story, though. Okay. Fourth of five kids, uh, born and bred in Oregon. I'm a fifth generation Oregonian, like literally Conestoga wagon, kind of pioneer stock. My father's mortified that I, I like hotels more than I like camping. <laughs> He's like, what family are you from? So I loved being in a big family, and I wanted a big family. And uh, so when my husband and I married... Um, our idea was that he would go to seminary, I would be a pastor's wife, we would have lots of kids, I'd probably wear Birkenstocks and have an herb garden. And we hit the brick wall of infertility and pregnancy loss. And it was a decade of like three years of no success, seven early miscarriages, an ectopic wow. pregnancy that required emergency surgery, and three failed adoptions before we finally had the successful adoption of our daughter. And the biggest crisis for me in that, it, it was a marital, spiritual, emotional, ethical, financial, like all of those things. But the biggest crisis for me in that was a spiritual crisis because I had a very narrow view of what Christian womanhood looked like. And there, was, there wasn't room for the life I was living within my view of that. And it made no sense to me. My husband and I both had Bible college degrees. And then he was going to seminary. Like we were ready to fill a home with love and, and just sort of have the, the Christian home. That, and, and there's nuclear families, great. But I had to go back to Genesis and start all over with, where did I get this idea? How much of it is biblical and how much of it is Christian subculture, Southern subculture? Um, you know, how much had, had I picked up here and there? Um, and 
you know, it was really like the old classic, you know, gentleman, this is a football with Vince Lombardi, just starting over with a, a team. I had to start over in Genesis with what is woman? What was she made for? You know, where, where do I fit in this picture? Why would God allow, you know, somebody who wants to do his will to not do his will and all of that. And that is part of why gender is one of my favorite uh, topics when it comes to scripture, because it came out of very much my own journey. I would look at a, I would look at a statement um, like a woman will be saved through childbearing in first Timothy and go, obviously it doesn't mean I go to heaven based on childbearing. I mean, Paul wrote that and Paul doesn't teach that. So, you know, sometimes conservatives would say, well, what that means is a woman, a woman's legitimate means of reproducing herself is through childbearing. I'm like, that still doesn't, fit Pauline theology, right? right? Like something else is going on there. So um, my PhD research related to what's going on in that book of the Bible and what is the cultural background and what was Paul probably talking about. And that's a whole other issue, but it, it affected that vindicating the vixens. It was just re- part of that journey was re-looking at not just who is woman, but who are some of the role models that we had that have been vilified wrongly. Now there are plenty of plenty of people that deserve to be vilified in the Bible, men and women too. But that just really looked at who do we really mistake? Or somebody like a Virgin Mary, who is um, Protestants tend to not even study her at all because she's too Roman Catholic. And so you get somebody who's like the fourth most mentioned person in the New Testament, third or fourth. And we don't even, she's not even, she was never even included on any of the women's Bible studies I did on surveys of women in the Bible. So just looking at all of those sorts of issues and in even tracing um, the idea of how do we, what is the social outworking of being men and women? You know, what is gender and what was a gender ideal in Paul's day, in Jesus's day, at Versailles today? Because as I'm teaching students who are international students, I don't want to export Western standards, right? I want to export what's biblical so for example, when I go to Kenya, um, my husband is the East Africa field director for a mission. And um, when I go to Kenya, women, it's women's work to re-roof the house. Wow. Okay? So it's women up on the huts. But you come back to America, you would not say a woman roofer is doing feminine work, like the way our stereotypes work. When I went to Versailles, I'm looking at, you know, traditional Versailles and men are wearing long flowing hair and lace and high heels. And that's masculine which is not the american standard today of that so just looking at um i came away with a whole new appreciation of jesus and paul because in his in their time it was very unmasculine for anyone to look on your nakedness and here is jesus hanging on the cross complete shame by his choice um it's it's completely sacrificing your man card to be beat up or have anybody touch your body upper class and citizen folks didn't have to endure that. So for Jesus to not pull his citizen card immediately when he gets to Philippi and he gets arrested and he's thrown in jail. And only then after he's been beat up, does he say, by the way, I'm a citizen, I have rights, but he didn't walk in holding that card because the gospel was more important. So looking at all those sorts of issues uh, has, has really been a big part of my journey, but it was rooted in, my family life, the aspirations for myself. And I would say that one of the main things that came from that was a conclusion that what God is interested in in men and women is the fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. 
And for some, it's going to be the fruit of the spirit in a female body. So, you know, it's going to be an intersex body. Like it's going to be the fruit of the spirit, no matter what your body is. And that's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Not, am I acting a certain kind of stereotype, but am I acting a certain kind of character? Um, So I felt then like, you know, a lot of our, um, our studies in manhood and womanhood that we're producing um, I, I co-teach with a, a counseling professor, a course in sexual ethics. And one of the assignments we give students is to look at manhood and womanhood curricula, curriculum on the web. Yeah. And one of the things our students observed was that they were taking marriage verses and extrapolating that for what women are. Wow. Right? So if, if it says wives submit to your husbands in a context of husbands lay down your life for your wives, Right. And they're saying women were made for submission, um, right. not like within a certain role, when, you know, right. certain cultural context, right? So just even looking at, does that mean I am not fully a woman unless I'm married? Right. <laughs> that some of those implications. And so clearly it had more implications than just what is it like, what does it mean for me as a woman? It means right. I need to follow hard after Christ. But also it had ramifications for how do I view singles and how, right? I mean, it's way bigger than what started out as the kernel of what I needed to know and ended up in something I really like talking about, obviously, uh, because I think it's important. I had one student who came into a class I do on gender. I was driving in that morning and I thought, I'm going to start a Genesis with male, female, or made in the image of God. And then I thought, you know, self-talk. That is so basic. Like every human knows they're made in the image of God. If they're at seminary, I don't want to insult their intelligence. And I thought, well, better make sure. And sure enough, I say this, you know, God said I will make man and woman in my own image, male and female. And I had a student on the front row. Are you saying that I don't have to be married to image God? Wow. I said, I'm not saying that. Genesis says that. <laughs> he turns around, looks at all her classmates. Did you all, did, so I don't have to find a husband wow. and have children to image God? And she burst into tears wow. with joy because she thought she was an incomplete human until she found a man. So her church had been very careful to warn her about the dangers of radical feminism, but they had not told her who she was. Mm. God, it's powerful, Dr. Guam. Powerful. Um, I think that that's such a good illustration of why this is such vital work, um, because the messages that many people are getting, and I would say um, it happens to men as well, but really, especially, especially to women um, in some of these kind of church circles, a lot of it is implicitly taught, but a lot of it is explicitly taught that you are incomplete until you find a husband, or you are incomplete until you have a child. And I think it's it's, it's um, beautiful, but also like obviously heartbreaking to hear your story and to hear how all of this came out of such deep trauma. I mean, I know you've told this story a bunch of times and you, you rolled through it, you know, pretty quickly, but the idea of, of three years of infertility, seven miscarriages, an ectopic pregnancy, three failed adoptions, all of that piling on top of each other um, beautifully, God uses that in the kind of Romans eight twenty eight way of working it for good, not just for you to find your true identity and who you are and how God made you, but now to help men and women um, all over the world be able to find that. And I think it's obviously such a a hard thing to hear and my heart breaks for you in those years and your husband as well. 
but it's beautiful to see God being able to use that um, in beautiful ways in so many people's lives. So thank you for yeah, Thank you. Adorable. You know, that's the advantage of being 61 is you can look back on your life and have some perspective. Clearly those years made absolutely no sense at the time. Could not imagine how God could redeem any of it or what he was doing or if he was good and could I trust him? I mean, those, everything I went through really boiled down to that. And it came back to the gospel. Honestly, I had to go, how do I know God is good? Because he sent a son for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I adopted a daughter, it's like, I promise you, I would not send her for you or anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's like, he not only does God have love, he has love beyond what I even want to have. That's right. Right. Yeah. And so any, everything else is a lesser sacrifice, right? If yes. God wouldn't stop at the sacrifice of his son for my need, then there must be a mystery going on that I don't understand. I don't even have to understand. I have enough information to know God is good and I'm going to trust him by grace yeah. through the spirit. I'll trust him. But I think, and that's what I think is transferable to everybody, right? I mean, we all have longings. We all have things that break our hearts and keep us on our knees where we have to, it all boils down to, do I believe God's good? Am I going to trust him? Yeah. Wow. Well, as you went through all of that and as you dove into scripture during that time in your life and, and in the years and years since then through, you know, PhD work and all of that, what did you find about biblical womanhood and what it really means, especially that might be different kind of from what you alluded to the, the traditional narrative that many of us may have heard? Well, certainly, you know, what I said about we're made in the image of God. And that means that I, I, bear God's image now without a man, without a husband, without a child, and as do all humans. It also means that the goal of womanhood is not to marry and have children, good as those are. The goal of man and woman is to, we were given the responsibility to rule the earth and multiply worshipers. Right. So in the Old Testament, that looks a lot like reproduction. In the New Testament, that looks a whole lot like sharing the gospel yeah. and making disciples, um, which is something, I mean, I think that making disciples has really been the ultimate all the way through, but we even right. see a big shift to the New Testament where we have a single savior, you know, single, you know, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, like you see this celibate tradition happening uh, in the early church. I think another thing it, beyond then, beyond scripture was looking at tracing the history of ideas of how did some of these ideas capture us. And I think one of them came through some of the study of early art history and seeing that up until clearly through the 10th, 11th century, really up until Michelangelo, you, any depiction of the father is never a male like you see in the Sistine Chapel. Wow. It's never a male body. In fact, it's considered heresy to make a male body for the father. So the father is depicted in like St. Mark's 1064. They're going to have a whole mosaic ceiling and everything is going to be on, you know, pictures on mosaics. But the father is eminent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient and omnipresent. If you go to someplace like the Scriveni Chapel or the Arena Chapel, which is in Padova, Italy, and it's early Giotto work um, of, of frescoes there, what you see there as the father depicted is sort of like a skylight. So again, the father is not, doesn't have a body or you'll see like a finger sticking down yeah. or you'll see an empty throne. And so they didn't have this picture of the father as, as male. Father was a metaphor for, for things fatherly, but not as male embodiment. 
Right. And then you have, you have Mary with Jesus, and this is the early flannel graph of the incarnation. And, wow. and so the idea is still that, that a woman is part of the picture. She's not God, right. but you get this invisible father, and then you have the son and a reminder that the only human contribution to the son was a female. Okay. Right. Exactly. So if the, the Messiah had to be a male because you have only female genetics. And if it was a female with the Holy Spirit, like men would have been left out of the redemption picture. Right? <laughs> so Protestants get real nervous about Mary, but the imagery that even early Christians used to have was invisible father, the son was a literal male, but his mother was the female contribution to the body of the Messiah. And then the spirit is invisible, is, right. is neuter. And so even since the Protestant Reformation, we see a difference in how we just even visualize. And, and the problem that sinks into our thinking of thinking that God is more male than female. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was at a dramatic presentation of Genesis and, and when they did the voice of God, instead of it being a male and female voice, which is the image of God, it was two males doing the voice of God. And again, you, don't, you just don't even realize how much that sinks into your thinking. Yeah. Um, that that he, he and father and son um, are metaphors. Right. Uh, and, and we don't want to call God it because God has personality and is a person. But we, we tend to connect it with, with gender and sexuality. And, and so that's just, that's heresy, actually. Like, it's just yeah. not Orthodox Christianity. So that was also part of my journey that was very interesting. I think another thing that was interesting was uh, I mentioned spiritual travel is one of the things that um, I, I'm a journalist in, in one of my lives, one of the hats that I wear. And I think it, pilgrimage was such a big part of the medieval church and physicality was such a big part of the Christian faith, right? We have a five senses faith and it's the only faith I know of where you have an incarnation of your God, you have a bodily resurrection of your God where God says matter is good. And yeah. you know, we got how many 30,000 taste buds? Like we embrace physicality. We don't let it control us, right. but our God himself like came in the flesh. So we have this tendency always to move towards sort of Gnosticism, spiritual better than matter. And I was very interested then, um, as I went to Germany in preparation for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and I was in these, you know, formerly East German churches, and one of the places my guides took me was the church where Martin Luther grew up. And I was really surprised to find on the wall this, uh, this picture, the, these pictures of these nine women that were saints that Martin Luther would have been very familiar with. Wow. And if you think about just even the church's history with saints, we went too far, but sure. you know, as you know, in the New Testament, every believer is called a saint. Right. So we Protestants got rid of all the saints because we didn't want a hierarchy. That's legit. The problem is we lost all the biographies. Yeah. And it used to be that every week in church, you'd hear a biography. We kept some of them. We kept St. Patrick's Day. So we hear about his on December the, yeah, I'm sorry, February 14th. We kept St. So Patrick, I'm sorry, we kept St. Valentine's. Some of us know about the Feast of Stephen, you know, on which good King Wenceslas looked out, you know, on the day after Christmas. We kept a few of the saints' days. So we're kind of mildly familiar with the really big celebrations. But 
another part of the story that we lost was not just the narratives, but it, it, every week in church, we were hearing women's stories of these awesome women of the faith. And so when you take away the Virgin Mary from our visualization, if you take away the narratives that you're hearing, and then if you introduce a post-industrial revolution, white upper-class division of labor, where women indoors, men outdoors, or in the factory or whatever, then you, you get this smaller and smaller box for what it looks like to be a woman of faith. And even if you think about the Catholic tradition of having nuns, um, they have a vocation for women, yeah. right? And if they enter this vocation, they don't wonder if I'm going to be single my whole life, who will care for me in my old age, right? Um, we have no equivalent in Protestantism. So all of this stuff enters our thinking, whether it's how we look through the Bible, whether it's how culture affects us, whether it's church history, whether it's art history, all of this really comes to bear in how we think about ourselves as, as image bearers. Gosh, that's fascinating. I had no idea about the depth of the history inside of that. Um, was there a dramatic shift in the kind of uh, art and architecture after Michelangelo and, and kind of the father embodied and, and all of that stuff to where um, that kind of kicked off this path of understanding um, God the Father as, as embodied man? Yeah, it's something that, that is done unconsciously. Um, I was reading about an art historian who just, he went to do a lecture and he said, everybody close your eyes and picture God the Father. Who comes to mind? And most people in the room said an old guy with, I mean, they were describing this as example. And it wasn't that he had shown them that, it's just we images without even thinking, without even knowing. Definitely, I mean, Michelangelo was so famous. And so everybody wanted to imitate him in their art. I mean, he was a freaking awesome artist, right? I mean, the, the Sistine Chapel was beautiful, um, but it is heretical in terms of, of Christian theology. And some of the popes have complained about it and said, you know, the father's not supposed to have a body, but who wants to destroy Michelangelo, right? Um, yeah, so I, I don't really argue with them on that choice, but, but still, um, yeah, it definitely, you can walk into a church in Italy, and, I, and I, every other year I take DTS students to uh, study medieval art and spirituality in Italy. And we can tell when we walk in if it predates Michelangelo or it's after based on how the God the Father is depicted in the art wow. and whether God the Father has a, a physical human male body. Do you think that led to um, in most uh, growing up in churches, most of the stories I heard about God the Father um, and most of the biblical uh, verses, passages and stuff that were pulled out were all masculine. But then I, you know, I go to seminary, um, I study scripture significantly more deeply, and I see there are just as many, maybe even more of the feminine pictures of God the Father as mother, um, as caretaker and all of that. Why do you think we don't explore those as much in kind of modern Western church? Yeah, great question. I think it came out of a reaction to uh, pagan goddess worship, which was absolutely massively influential. Um, we don't hear too much about Artemis of the Ephesians in America, so we don't think of her as that high. I mean, we hear about Zeus or we, you know, we hear about some of the other gods, but in Paul's day, she's going to be number two in the pantheon. Um, right up there under her daddy Zeus. And if you, you know, if you study inscriptions in the ancient world, you know, like first century ancient world, you're going to see her name second only to Zeus 
Um, and so when we read about her in the book of Acts, I mean, there's a story, right, where Paul is in Ephesus, you've got her big temple there, and he's undercutting their worldwide, emperor-wide <laughs> tourist trade. You know, he's, the, he's cutting into the souvenir market in a big way uh, and, and, the, and the pilgrimage market. So there is a concern. And honestly, I think that is part of what affected uh, First Timothy and Paul talking about being saved. Through, a woman be, will be saved through the childbearing if they continue in faith. And he's kind of, I think he's taking a local phrase, like a quote, and putting a Christian spin on it because he is in the city of uh, the goddess of midwifery. She's not a fertility goddess. She's not a mother goddess. She was pretty, way too ruthless to be a mother uh, image, but she was, uh, she was the midwifery goddess. In fact, when her first temple burned, they said it's because it happened the night that Alexander the Great was born and she was off doing her midwife thing for you know, the greatest man in the world being born at the time. So anyway, I think that so often that our movements are reactions to things and, and that may be okay, except then we don't come back balance things out and compensate. But you're absolutely right that there are lots of female metaphors. If you think about, you must be born again. Right. The one Christian's quote, right? Like, and, and Nicodemus, you want me to crawl back into the womb? Like, he's clearly picturing a female. And in right. that metaphor, God is giving birth to us spiritually. Yeah, you've got in the Psalms saying, I was like a weaned child leaning against your breast. You have Jesus saying, I was like a mother hen. I wanted to gather you you know, not the most manly thing for him to say, but he didn't care. Like he, you know, he, he didn't care about messing with, with stereotypes. He spent his whole life doing it. And even Mary, you know, Martha and Mary sitting at his feet in the position of a student with a rabbi and the traditional woman comes in and says, Hey, she's not helping in the kitchen. And he's basically saying back off. Um, You have another situation where, you know, since we're really elevating women and childbirth and bearing and you know somebody says blessed are the you know blessed are the breasts that suckled you and jesus is like and even more blessed are my you know who is my mother and my sister and my brother and he's putting it on a spiritual plane not because he's a gnostic not because he doesn't believe in the physical life but because he believes the spiritual family and that kind of mothering is what we were called to do um yeah lots of Lots, you know, another illustration where God's like, I'm a mother bear, and we all know what like a mother bear robbed of her cubs. Don't mess with her. Uh, <laughs> there's nowhere in the Bible that's like a woman can't be assertive because mother bear is pretty assertive. Um, <laughs> even the idea woman in Proverbs 31, we read that through such a cultural lens. We think she's right. like a Martha Stewart. It's like, yeah, but she's also buying and selling real estate. She's teaching Torah. She has strong arms, and like the word yeah. strong means strong. <laughs> so we even read it through our grade and not even see you know this woman is earning more money than her husband is he's he's working doing justice in the gates he's not doing an income but that's okay because she's buying and selling stuff and making it possible for him to do justice work jesus is supported john uh luke 8 jesus is supported by probably a bunch of widows right like all these stereotypes we just Take stuff like that and don't even see it. Just continue to see what we already see. Oh, that's good. Well, I would love to hear kind of to kind of wrap up a little bit, a little bit more into the idea of, of fruit of the spirit being the primary call for all genders that are Christians. Um, and, and really, um, because I, I think we can, we can, you know, spend a lot of time discussing how we've gone wrong with gender stereotypes, both 
in the West and in other parts of the world, um, you know, where Jesus and others bucked those in scripture and all of that stuff. But the idea I would love to kind of conclude with is what are we calling everyone to um, that is bigger and better than that? That is a great question. Yeah, it's really interesting what you don't see, first of all. You, you, you don't see a call to act feminine. You don't see a call to, um, to act, like how we act out. The focus is just so much on to be like Christ. To become, what are we supposed to be conformed to? His image. Right. And what is his image? Uh, his image is constantly focused, the constant focus, holiness, purity, love, joy, like I said, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. I do a, an exercise with some of my students where, and they don't know where I, we're going because it's the first day. You know, what are things that we typically assign to women as feminine? And, you know, it's like uh, motherly, nurturing, serving. Okay, how about men? You know, leading, uh, being assertive, you know, and then we stand back and it's like, okay, is there anything on the woman's list that men are supposed to do? Well, yeah, like kindness is usually on the list. Like that's a fruit of the spirit. Like women should not get to claim that. Like that's an everybody word. Being assertive is like, it's a good thing Esther didn't have these stereotypes. She <laughs> saved the whole nation by, you know, putting her neck out and just talking through, uh, there is nothing wrong with wanting to dress a certain, you know, I want to look like a girl. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible doesn't tell me, what that standard is and to go after it. What it does tell me is God hates sin. He hates selfishness. He hates, he hates it when I got an anger problem. He doesn't like it when I use porn because it, it objectifies a human being who's made in his image. Like there's plenty on that list to step on everybody's toes. Um, <laughs> keep us working, you know, a lifetime and in, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And we cannot do it on our own. We have to, it, I mean, it's called a fruit of the spirit, as you well know, because it's the spirit working in us because we can't generate that stuff because we're so freaking selfish and we do have five senses. So we like to overeat and we like to like anything that touches, smells, sounds, we love it. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's really good. I, I just appreciate um, not just this work, but the work that you're doing um, at uh, DTS and all over the country and all over the world that you're continuing to pour out and, and to stand in the gap, you know, for, um, for both men and women um, that may have been um, yeah. stereotyped into corners and they feel like they can't step into the God's calling for them because of some um, unbiblical understanding of what their gender really means. Um, and, uh, and I just think that's really beautiful thing. So I want to just thank you for that. Thank you. For the you're you're you so right about men. I mean, it's, it really is, this is not a women's issue. Um, we got lots of DTS students in our arts department who had fathers that wanted them to be football players. Yeah. And yeah. these wonderful men who are like, oh, your dad should be thrilled to have a son like you because you have yeah. character. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh man, well, um, I would love for you to just close us in prayer and to ask um, you know, for, for God's obviously direction and blessing on, on our church, um, on, on all people, but, but also, that we would continue to do this work of, of calling people to something higher than gender stereotypes or um, anything else um, that we would call people to fruit of the spirit and to Christ likeness. Um, I'd love for you to just kind of okay. do that benediction over us. Okay, let's pray. 
Father, thank you that you are a good God and that you are good and we can trust you. Help us to have faith to trust you more. I pray your blessing on this church. I pray that you would fill them with faith, hope, and love. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that they would love one another, that they would sacrifice to one another, that they would honor one another, that you would grant them through the spirit's help to be full of love, to be full of joy and peace and things that make for peace, for help them to be good and kind and faithful and full of self-control. I pray that the people in this church through the work of your spirit would be conformed to the image of Christ. We thank you that Christ loves the church. We acknowledge that our participation in it makes it very broken. And at times it's hard for us to be committed to her because she is so filthy dirty. And yet you love her and we thank you for that because we are part of her. So we thank you for being a good God and we pray your blessing on the leaders in this church who are serving, on those who love one another in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Guan. Um, appreciate it. Can't wait till the next time we get to talk again.